As she did very often, Elizabeth thought about how lucky she and Jessica were to live in Sweet Valley. Everything about it was terrific. The gently rolling hills, the quaint downtown area, and the fantastic white sand beach only 15 minutes away. She and Jessica were even luckier now with a new in-ground pool in the backyard. For clarification, that quote refers to a certain Elizabeth and Jessica Wakefield, and it comes from a book in the Sweet Valley High series, more specifically, the first installment, entitled Double Love and published in 1983. While I know that many of us millennials, myself included, have fond memories of the Wakefields, I am sorry to say that this book had more than a few issues on the reread. I'm not just talking about Jessica and Elizabeth's war over dreamy basketball player Todd Wilkins, or the weird mix-up that happens when Jessica is caught at a bar with town bad boy Rick Andover and allows everyone she knows to stick with their incorrect assumption that her identical twin Elizabeth was actually the one involved. Nope. The issues I'm talking about are weird messages about things like appearances, class, sexuality, diversity, and relationships. We dive into all of it on episode 54 of SSR, the first episode of our second year, and discuss high school cliques, our own awkward stages and misguided fashion choices, and the pros and cons of being a twin. We also play a hilarious game of FMK with some of the especially annoying guys in the book, and consider the fact that our disappointment with this walk down memory lane might actually be a sign of our progress as a society. Crazy, right? I am thrilled to introduce the ladies from the Bad on Paper podcast as my guests. Grace Atwood and Becca Freeman are your new internet besties, giving you a weekly dose of books, banter, and folks you should be following. Join them every month for a book club featuring a read they promise you won't be able to put down. In between, they're joined by guests for conversations on careers, dating, fashion, and more. Follow the Bad on Paper podcast on Instagram at Bad on Paper Podcast, Grace at Grace Atwood, and Becca at Becca M. Freeman. Bad on Paper is available wherever you get your favorite pods, and you can learn more at badonpaperpodcast.com. Grace Atwood is the founder of The Stripe, a lifestyle blog for stylish bookworms. She grew up on Cape Cod, which she credits for her love of nautical stripes. Prior to running her site full-time, Grace was the director of social media for Bobble Bar. Outside of work, Grace's passions include food, wine, art, yoga, reading, and her Persian cat, Tyrion. Becca is a freelance marketing consultant in New York City. Previously, she was the head of marketing at Lola. When not working, reading, or podcasting, Becca loves plane tickets, red wine, and 30 Rock reruns. And she's never met a dog in a costume she hasn't liked. Same, Becca. Same. I had so much fun chatting with Grace and Becca, who were kind enough to invite me to record with them in their space here in Brooklyn. If you haven't listened to Bad on Paper yet, I'm not sure what you're waiting for, because it's one of my favorites. Go check it out. While we're talking about great things to listen to, let me also remind you of my friends over at Libro FM. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. Choose from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro FM, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobooks book company out there. You know who I'm talking about. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. SSR listeners can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of just one month. Go to Libro.fm, L-I-B-R-O.fm, and enter code SSRPOD when prompted. Go ahead and download some of the titles on your TBR and tune in on your summer road trips and beach days. I, for one, just downloaded Brittany Cooper's Eloquent Rage. With each listen, we can all take pride in knowing that we're supporting local bookstores. When I buy audiobooks from Libro FM, I support my favorite Brooklyn indie, Books Are Magic. I am so excited to be back for year two of the SSR podcast, and I can't wait to continue growing this community. You can help me spread the love by following us on social media. We are at SSR Pod on Instagram and Twitter, and you can track us down on Facebook by searching the SSR podcast. If you like what you're hearing, screenshot the episode and tag me at SSRPod in your Instagram story. Or, better yet, leave a five-star rating or review on iTunes. These reviews make a huge difference in the iTunes rankings, which means they also make a huge difference in helping potential listeners find the show. One major new development in year two of SSR is the SSR blog. Check it out and subscribe at ssrpodcast.com blog. Every Friday, I'll post the true story a.k.a. my extended thoughts on the book we covered on the pod that week, and there will be lots of fun content in between. While you're at ssrpodcast.com, you might also consider clicking support and learning more about Patreon. It's a platform that allows you to support the show with a few dollars every month in exchange for some awesome, exclusive rewards. Thanks to all of the Patreon sponsors out there listening now. I think that's all the housekeeping I have for you today, listeners. I am so happy to be back and chatting with you through this microphone. Now let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. 
We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hafkasik, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Becca. Hi, Grace. Thank you so much for having me over in your recording space. Thank you for having me here and talking to me about Sweet Valley High. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. I'm so thrilled to have you. I am very excited. I have a lot of thoughts and not many of them are good. I have a lot of thoughts and like some anger about this book. And I also am kind of wondering how we're all okay, given that we grew up reading these. Well, and I read a lot of them. I have to know kind of like both of your histories with this series because you selected Double Love, which for listeners who may not remember is the first book in the Sweet Valley High series. And I know we have mixed feelings about the book, but I was thrilled then that you chose it. And I'm thrilled now as well that we're getting a chance to discuss it. But like, why? Why was this your decision? To be honest, I think it was because we hadn't heard of the other ones. Fair. Yeah. And I grew up reading these. I read the whole series. I read literally all of them. These and Babysitter's Club were like the stuff of my childhood. Yeah. I was probably more Babysitter's Club than Sweet Valley High, but I definitely read them when I was a kid. And... I remember reading them when I was like a little bit younger than them. So I was probably in middle school, I guess. And I remember just like blindly accepting that like, this is how high school is. Yeah, this makes sense. Yeah, this is how I picture it. This is how Mm -hmm. I'm going to be walking down the halls of my high school. I pulled out one hilarious quote describing what the halls of Sweet Valley High are like that I just, I have to share it. And I categorize it in my notes under lol worthy shit. So that's kind of where we're going (laughs) with this conversation. Sweet Valley High is described this way. Between classes, the halls of Sweet Valley High resembled the battle scene from Star Wars with bodies hurtling in all directions accompanied by collisions and dropped books. Because isn't that how it always is in high school? Doesn't that sound familiar? Anyone? I mean, I I don't know that that's how I would describe (laughs) my high school, but overall Sweet Valley seems like a very idyllic place. Yeah. Yeah. In in some ways and also in other ways terrifying. This whole book to like go to a very macro place yeah. struck me as every cliche after school special mm-hmm. mashed together. And like, that's what the town was. That's what all the people were. Yeah. That's who like their teachers were. Like everything was just like, you were like, oh, maybe it was really easy to write a book in the eighties because nothing was a cliche yet. And you could just yeah. pick the easiest things. And like, that was cool. That's a great characterization. And the thing that cracks me up when you say that is like, I think I was 11 or or 12 when I was reading this book. Like I jumped right into Sweet Valley High. I don't think that I like stopped and collected $200 and passed go at like the middle school spinoff. I think I was reading the high school books yeah. and I certainly wasn't watching like this kind of equivalent stuff on TV or in movies. Like my parents had no idea that this was what I was reading and I didn't either. There's so much that I know that I didn't pick up on when I was reading this as a kid. And these are on the shelves of my elementary school library, which in hindsight, and I'm certainly like not, you know, conservative gal, but like these, I, I don't think I should have been reading these when I was in fourth or fifth grade. No. And they, what I looked at was the publishing date is they came out in 1983. Yeah. So I was reading them probably, I was born in 81, so I was probably reading them in 1991, mm-hmm. 1992 or 1993. So it's 10 years, it had been out for 10 years. So we were reading old books yeah. at the time. I don't know. I didn't think that it was that bad for a middle schooler to read. I, I was also the middle schooler that was not allowed to, but was watching all of 90210. Got it. Which was much racier than this. But I thought the bad guy was like exactly the flat characterization of a bad guy that you would expect. He was like, I drive a fast car and he's like, we're going to go to a bar. And it like doesn't really make sense that he's there because they're in high school and clearly not of age. Like it was so hokey. Yes. I just felt not that it was too racy. I was just horrified by like, there is like no female empowerment here. There is so much focus on the twins looks. They're perfect size six figures. They're blue eyes. They're blonde hair. Like I was trying to find it where Winston Egbert is talking about how people only want to set him up with women who are five foot two and 250 pounds. And he has to put the hamburger on the floor for them to eat. And I was like, holy shit. Like, how am I like, okay. Like that I was reading all of this. Like this is the stuff 
stuff that, you know, forms your opinions as you're in your formative years reading this. Oh yeah. No, this book was not woke. The first (laughs) sentence of the book, I like had to write it down and it's, Oh Lizzie, do you believe how absolutely horrendous I look today? I'm so gross. I'm disgustingly fat. Well, and what really disturbed me about that too, is that then the next paragraph from the narrator's perspective says, Jessica stared at herself in the full length mirror and saw a picture of utter heartbreak and despair. But what was actually reflected in the glass was about the most adorable, most dazzling 16-year-old girl imaginable. So it's like Jessica's only having this moment of self-doubt, which is a moment that like I think girls should sort of be empowered to like prepare for and then to like battle. Like, yeah, we all have those moments. But I think this moment was only set up so that then we could be reminded of like, but she's actually hot and perfect. Yeah, why couldn't Lizzie be like, oh, but you got an A on your math test and you're like applying to all the best schools. Like, obviously that wouldn't make for a Sweet Valley book, but like... Right, or even like you, you know, everybody at school thinks you have a great personality, which though we don't agree, I think we can all agree. She's She's the worst. terror. Um, But we are meant to believe that everybody at school loves her personality. So that would have been a valid thing for Elizabeth to respond with. And instead it's like, no, don't worry, Jessica's actually beautiful and this is all just her being dramatic, like classic Jessica. So I didn't like that it was clearly just, like there was no point really to her having that moment of self-doubt beyond just the ability for the author to be like, psych, that's not actually what she looks like. Yeah. Um, And they use the phrase right up front, like all American good looks. And these books have been criticized so much for their whitewashed bullshit. Like everybody's white. I actually was listening to an interview. I forget who the actress was, but I was listening to an interview a while ago with the actress who played the like Brazilian exchange student on the TV series. And she was white and she had like affected sort of this like South American accent. So they, they added this character for the TV series <laughs> and they couldn't even like find a Brazilian actress to play her. So it, the problem just like continued as they oh my stretched God. the books out, you know, from paper to TV. So it's really bad. And, and to your point about female empowerment, what I thought was really interesting was I actually found a quote from Francine Pascal, who's the creator. Like she had all these ghostwriters, but she was the one behind it. She wrote, when I first thought of the idea for Sweet Valley High, I loved the idea of high school as microcosm of the real world. But what I really liked was how it moved things on from Sleeping Beauty-esque romance novels where the girl had to wait for the hero. This would be girl-driven, very different. I decided, and indeed it is. I think that was of great appeal to readers. I'm like... Uh, no. I don't think you did a good I mean, job compared with that. to what though? Yeah, that's true. Because yeah. this, if this came out in the '80s, I mean, I guess I'm probably thinking of like the '50s or '60s. But maybe these girls are a little more empowered than some of the heroines that came before them. Nancy Drew, like she's one who I've reread her, and she is really that really doesn't hold up. Like she's really not a strong female character. In oh, really? so sad. I know. I'm I thought so you were sorry. gonna say it held no, up. No, it doesn't. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I've You're ruining our lives. I know. I really. Am. I don't feel great about it. Um, but I do think that in some ways Jessica and Elizabeth kind of are taking steps past her. And I will say there are moments throughout this book where I was like, even though I don't necessarily agree with what these girls are saying, like they at least have opinions sometimes yeah. and they're like snapping back and like having reactions to things, which I don't know was true of heroines in books before this. But that doesn't necessarily make their reactions to things okay or unproblematic because a lot of them are. Yeah. So when you were growing up, did you identify with Jessica or Elizabeth? Like, I think that's an important conversation to have before we like really break into the plot of this book, because I think the idea is that you're supposed to identify with one of them and they're hilariously binary. Like Mm -hmm. they're so opposite. I mean, I remember liking Jessica more. Okay. As a kid. I don't know if I identified with her, especially because I was also in middle school when I was reading these. So I wasn't. Of course you did. You were a mean girl. You were. But not when I was in middle school. Oh, it was not. Till high school, yeah. Oh, you grew into a high school. Oh, I had girl. a real awkward phase in in middle school. I in, but you liked the mean girl better, which which oh, set course. you up to in high school become yeah. a mean girl. Oh, that's so I was very nerdy, so I'm like, you were a mean girl. Yeah, you were. You were like, I was so Elizabeth, you were so. Jessica. But I was still in the. I was still in my awkward phase because okay. in sixth grade I wanted a bob haircut, but I didn't know the words for it, and mm. so I ended up with basically a bowl cut, and then I had to grow that out through. I would love middle to see school. these photos. And I didn't have boobs yet. And I, in my sixth grade class picture, I'm wearing this denim shirt with Winnie the Pooh coming out of the pocket. Oh, it's re- it's so oh. bad. So you weren't Mean Girl yet. Like you were, oh, no. Yeah, no, not at that point. No. Yeah, you needed to change but your I, shirt. But I liked 
Jessica Moore. Okay. But I was probably more of an Elizabeth at that at the time when I was reading it. Do you think you liked her because she just seemed like cool? Like, do you remember what it was that would have drawn you to her more? I mean, she was like fun and in charge. And okay. like in this book, I, I can't remember the plot lines of any of the other books, but in like this book, she's like getting the guy, she's doing the scheme, she's like having fun, but like she's a high key psychopath, yeah. which I did not pick up on at the time. Yeah. yeah, I definitely didn't pick up on that at the time. I was Elizabeth. I always like I I liked her best and I wanted to be like Elizabeth. But you were the you were the mean sister. Yeah, that I oh, got bullied mind. at school and then I came home and took it out on my sisters. So you were the Jessica at home. <laughs> I guess, yeah. Lizzie in the streets, Jessica in the <laughs> in the sheets. <laughs> not in the sheets. Not just in at the home. Sheets. Yeah, just like in the house. Yeah, indoors. In the house. <laughs> You're an indoor Jessica. Yeah. yeah, I guess I was. I was an indoor Jessica. I Wait, know. what about you? I was I was firmly an Elizabeth. I remember weird details about the things I liked about Elizabeth. Like I loved the way they described her bedroom. And mm. I always had really like pink girly bedrooms, you know, in that very frilly kind of way. But I remember really liking that Elizabeth had like cream walls and like a very simple blue bedspread. Like that really appealed to me as a kid. I don't know why. And I, I loved that she was interested in the newspaper because that was something even when I was younger that I really knew that I would want to do when I got to high school. And she was into school and she always just seemed like the calmer, sort of like more practical alternative to Jessica. Yeah. And now I'm like, maybe she was calmer and in some ways more practical, but like she is by no means as book and like school minded as I thought she was when I was growing up. She's also a complete doormat. Yeah. Yeah. Total pushover. You were like, girl, stop running away. Like go have a conversation with this guy who obviously likes you. Yeah. Yeah. And and her relationship with Jessica is so twisted and so confusing because I feel like there are so many points throughout the book where like Elizabeth's doubting herself and she's like, oh, of course they would love Jessica more than me. Like she's so pretty. I'm like, first of all, you guys are identical twins, but yeah. And she's so cool and perfect and fantastic but then behind the scenes like she's so frustrated with her all the time even though she's not doing anything about it so like her relationship with Jessica is like so fucked up yeah and And when she gets even with her at the end like after being a total doormat I don't know I felt like it also reinforced this whole belief that I had when I was younger it's like by doing the right thing and always being nice you're gonna get the guy and you're gonna that's not true either yeah like don't be a psychopath but don't be a doormat here's a question for you yeah what do you think they turned out like adults um, I think they're like they're on Melrose Place. Like, I mean, that's like late, much later. But like, I I don't think they're good adults. I think there's some eating disorders in there. Mm-hmm. I think that there's some bad marriages. Like, I can like, see Jessica being on her like fifth marriage, uh-huh. and she's like kind of like the sloppy drunk aunt, and she's like, hey, she girl. has the big hair, even though oh, it's like yeah. you know thirty years later. Uh huh. Uh huh. Pink lipstick, uh-huh. long nails. Mm-hmm. She like doesn't have kids, and she's giving like kids terrible advice. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like Elizabeth has sort of Elizabeth has a lot of cats. Us. You think she has a lot of cats? Oh I no, like, I think she's a Stepford wife. I think she really? moved oh. to Connecticut. Oh. She has like a husband in finance and like three perfect children and she's like not really fun. I oh, sort maybe. of feel like I she, see that. I feel like she ended up like going to a college that like wasn't as great as she thought it would be and then got a job that was like kind of lame. I feel like she sort of let herself down because she thinks that she's so smart and Oh, successful. I can see that. I can see that too. And she's kind of ended up like having like this mediocre life and career and now she's sad about that. And I, I feel really terrible saying that about her because she was like my childhood yeah. loved her. Like she was my girl in these books. But I don't I feel like she sort of disappointed herself. Oh. Who do you think ended up the best out of the characters in the book as an adult? Probably Enid. Oh, I was gonna say Winston Egbert. Well, I mean, I yeah. bet Winston Egbert got hot and like <laughs> is like do, doing he's so in, well. Yeah, he's, he's like, like a like software startup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He totally yeah. like was he was like a founder of Google or he's yeah. like Venmo John mm-hmm. on The Bachelor. Or, totally. Yeah. I And I think Enid probably like just is running a company somewhere. Enid, for listeners who haven't thought about this in a while, Enid is Elizabeth's best friend who Jessica like pointedly in this book is like, why would you ever be friends with Enid? Jessica's the worst. I think that was categorized under my heading, Jessica is the worst, where she starts bad-mouthing Enid and is like, I couldn't possibly have a sister who has a friend like Enid. But Enid is, like, sweet and nice. And what happened to Enid? Because, like, the cliffhanger of this book is basically like, oh yeah, I can't let my boyfriend know that I've 
been arrested? Is that what it was? And it goes, what is the dark mystery in Enid's past? And how does Jessica use it to her own advantage? Find out in Sweet Valley High, number two, secrets. And then there is the, I wish that I could give a visual to all of your listeners. There is this page where you can order it. Remember those? You Mm -hmm. tear it out Mm -hmm. and you fill in the form and you send a check with $1.25 to cover postage and handling. It's amazing. Can you try it? Oh, that would be a fun experiment. Just send it. I'm going to send it. There's a part of me that just wanted to go through Each and just of the like books check are every box. 225. 225. Wow. Great. Send it in. I'm going to. Report I, back. I want to know what oh, happened to Enid. Oh, it expires April of 1985. No, oh, we're a little no. late. <laughs> I want to know what happened to Enid, but I just want somebody to DM me. I don't want to actually have yeah. to read another of these books. Well, this Ryan might make you sad. I already had to read another one. And it was called The New Jessica. Listeners, you may have listened to this episode. I'll link it in the show notes. But in that book, Jessica decides to take on like a whole new persona. She dyes her hair black and she decides that she like she starts smoking in class and like I remember reading. these. Do you remember that yeah. one? It's crazy. She starts reading, I think, like French Vogue in class and she's like blowing off all of her teachers even more than she is already. And it's because she just like doesn't want to be the same as Elizabeth because like being identical is getting old and she's too cool for it. Any inkling of what happened to Enid? I don't think so. I think Enid just kind of like quietly lurks. Like she occasionally Mm. comes in. Mm. There are, however, I found this list of like the craziest, most ridiculous plot lines and Enid is involved in some of them. Like I think in this one it says Elizabeth's best friend who I'm assuming is Enid is paralyzed in a plane crash then is quickly unparalyzed. So that apparently happened. So Enid eventually kind of was like a leading player but in a very sad way. Paralyzed Um, and then unparalyzed. Like this also like how are we smart? Like Yeah, it's it's really hard to follow a lot of this. And then yeah. they come back for, there are like 180 books in this series. So oh even with God. all of this craziness, they just keep on coming back. And then there's back. college ones. Mm-hmm. There's elementary school ones. There's the middle school spinoff. Oh, wow. They did like a few books, I think, when they were adults. There's one called Sweet Valley Confidential that I think was published more recently that's supposed to be like their life as grownups. So if we really want to find out what happened to them, we oh, could think, take the time to read yeah. that book. But I don't know that any of us will do that. Yeah, that might be a little... I don't know. Can we talk about another plot point that was very confusing to me? Yes. Why are there sororities in high school? Oh my gosh, I know. Well, my grandmother was in a sorority in high school, but it's oh, that's a real thing. Yeah, but it's because they didn't go to college back then. Like, and then you're like, you're done. You graduate and you get married and become a wife. Oh, that's um, so sad. It made me think of Gilmore Girls. I don't know if either of you are Gilmore oh, yeah, Girls the puffs. fans. The Puffs, like that's, but it, they call it a secret society, not right. A quote yeah. unquote sorority, but it's like the biggest deal in this book to get into the cool yeah. sorority on campus. And of course, Jessica, like, is she's so excited and she just knows she's going to get in. Yeah, but like. I didn't love that there were sororities because it's like basically encouraging clickiness in a hierarchy. And I like can't imagine a high school that would allow you to just be like, no, cool. There's sororities and like there's going to be a really cool one and there's going to be some less cool ones. Yeah. No, that wouldn't have flown. Yeah. Well, go sort yourselves. Well, in the fraternity too, like the fraternity has just clearly created such like this bro culture in the high school. And that already exists in high school, unfortunately, anyway. And so there's all these boys in high school that are just like watching each other's backs and saying terrible things about the girls to each other even people that you wouldn't think would necessarily be friends like they're all in the same fraternity and so it gives them this opportunity to just be awful among each other and you know kind of gossip about the girls in really nasty hypocritical ways um which is sort of like the core of the problematic nature of this book I, I want to talk a little bit about the rich kids at school. So oh, yeah. Bruce Patman and Lila mm-hmm. Fowler, speaking of like the cliques and the hierarchies. Later on in the series, I'm pretty sure that Lila actually becomes Jessica's best friend. But we oh, don't get that at all in this book. No, like, yeah, yeah. Lila becomes more important later. But yeah. there's a lot of hero worship around the wealth where it was like, oh my God, Bruce Patman is, drives a Porsche and is the coolest guy who apparently has no friends at school because right. everyone is just busy idolizing him. Yeah, it is weird that like I think there's one moment where Jessica is kind of like oh it would be you know cool to be riding in his car but the girls don't seem as interested in him as they are in Todd like I feel like the trope in most high school movies and books is that like everybody is sort of in love and actively pursuing the richest boy in school oh no I feel like they feel like they can't get him like they're because at one point he offhandedly asks Elizabeth to the dance or something and Jessica's like oh my god like 
you yeah. can't not say yes to Bruce Patman. Like it's like he's in such another stratosphere. Yeah, there was just so so much focus on Todd that I like it was hard for me to imagine that anybody could possibly be interested in anybody else because there was you know obsession with Todd. Right. Um, but the warring like fam- Bruce and Lila's warring families, the whole controversy with the football field, listeners. So this is what was going down. Jessica and Elizabeth's dad is a lawyer, and he's somehow involved in like a legal case between the school district and the Patmans and the Fowlers. And I can't remember which family wants which, but one of the families wants to build a factory. And one of the families, this is my favorite, wants to have a formal garden. Yeah. (laughs) Right. That's a good use of money. Very good use of money. Let's just like knock down the football field and everybody will get so much use out of the formal garden. Um, And so somehow Mr. Wakefield gets involved and Elizabeth is like covering it for the paper. And there's all this controversy because of course the football field is like the center of the town. Yeah, well, they have to play their game this weekend. What else? What else will anybody do if they can't all play football? It's also a very fast-moving court case because they're like... Well, it's it's 10 minutes, but they're also like... Our field for this week's game. Where will we practice? And it's like, oh, there was really no warning here. Right. Well, and it was like they made opening statements, and it kind of seemed like that was it. And I happened to be reading this the day after I watched the Ted Bundy movie on oh, Netflix. No. And I was like, that trial really went on for a really, really, really long time. And obviously, I know that that, you know, most trials do. But then the contrast between that and this, where they basically all made a single argument. And then Elizabeth was like, great, we won. My dad is the best. He's such a hero. And then they all pick her up on their shoulders when she gets back to school. That was one of my favorite moments when like Elizabeth comes back from court because she was covering the story and she's like, don't worry guys, like we're going to get to play football tonight. And she's the one who like is lauded as a hero and like as a girl who's on the school paper and really into the school paper, I'm pretty sure that nobody ever would have picked me up on their shoulders in high school. Certainly not the football team. Yeah. It's probably because your dad didn't save the football field. That's your dad. Way to go. It really would have been cool if you could have like pulled some strings for me and pretended to be a lawyer and you know, prevented the formal garden from coming and ruining everything. That was really his mistake, not mine. Oh my God, wait. So the other plot line that was so cheesy was that everyone is really afraid that their dad is cheating on their mom. Yes. Oh yeah. And he's cheating with this other woman who's the divorced woman at work mm-hmm. and he's working late and they're spending a lot of time together and then um, somebody follows him and, and they're at her house and they go inside and everyone is so devastated that he's cheating on her but like nobody confronts him but if like of course it's a simple misunderstanding there's so many simple misunderstandings and the way that that plays out is it ends up being like it's I mean the whole book is so sexist in so many ways and so anti-feminist but the fact that like the truth behind this matter was that Mr. Wakefield was just trying to like ensure that this young lawyer, Mariana West, got promoted and she was made partner. I think the the quote in the book was something like, oh, you know, Jessica realized that her dad was only trying to like make sure that this young lawyer got the promotion she deserved. And so it's like all the credit for this young woman who has worked her ass off presumably to get this job. It's like, oh no, it was because Mr. Wakefield yeah. like, put in the time and like sacrificed hours with his family. Like that's why it happened. And yeah. that made me so angry. Yeah, yeah. Did you, Jenny, did you pick up on that too? Or was that, am I reading, I'm probably reading into it, but I that, don't know that it, you're reading into it. I was just like so eye roll about the whole thing where yeah. it's like, no, of course he's not cheating because your perfect family's perfect. And like, yeah. there's going to be a hijinky misunderstanding yeah. and like everything's going to end up okay. Well, and it was weird because then they invited her over to their house and like she didn't know yet that she'd been promoted. And they were like, we have an announcement for the family. And this woman is just there. And uh, that's when she finds out that she was made partner, which to me seems like the worst possible way well, to find out. I wouldn't family. Like, if I was getting promoted and my boss, like, brought me over his house with his wife and his kids and was like, we're making you a partner, I'd be like, cool, I guess. Cool. Where's my, also, where are my people? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so strange. It's so strange. Yeah, what about the teacher? Speaking of adults that have weird relationships, Mr. Collins doesn't play, like, a huge role in this book, but there are a few moments where I thought Elizabeth's relationship with him was kind of interesting because she, like, seeks his counsel on things all the time. And I, I can't remember if he comes up in any other books, but I picture him being this like young hot teacher that maybe gets like maybe a little cozy with some of the girls because she was he was like how can I help Jessica? How, he's like how can I help Elizabeth? Like you seem upset. 
I, that wasn't really on my radar, but now I'm like, oh God, another problematic storyline. Yeah, none of it's surprising. You're like, oh, of course. Like, yeah, yeah there would be this teacher. Well, you got to set up a lot of things. You got to set up fodder for 180 books. Mm-hmm. Which she apparently did well. Yeah. yeah. I think that we need to talk about Todd in more detail. And I. Wait, we need to talk about Rick Andover. There's so many boys. Like, all of these boys. You yeah. know, I thought this I was supposed to talk be a about women. Steve. Steve. They're all terrible. <laughs> Where do we want to start? Like, which boy should we start with? Do you want to kick off with, with Rick Andover, or do we start? I feel like Todd really. Let's start with Todd. Todd really is at the beginning who we meet. All right, guys. Just really quick before we get into it. Okay. Fuck, Mary kill. Oh. Steve, Todd, and Rick Andover. I'd f- I hope I can swear on your podcast because I oh, already did. I mean, yeah. the, our subtitle is Should She Read, so it's, Great. it's we already have that you know nice little E next to our name. I, I think I'd fuck Rick. I'd... Kill Todd and I'd marry Steve. Ooh. Yeah. I think I would marry Steve. I think I would kill Rick and I would probably, I think I would fuck Todd. Oh, interesting. I think that I would fuck Rick, marry Todd, kill Steve. Steve annoyed me so much. He was annoying, but I feel like I feel like he's pretty steady. Like yeah. he's steady in his annoyingness. Sure, but if you had to spend the rest of your life with him, oh, he has a good heart, though. I felt like he was like I don't know, and he's got like two sisters, so like it's a fun family. Like I want to marry no. into that family. Mm-mm. I think they're fun in a wedding. Sure, don't you think? Sure, it would be a fun wedding to go to. Yeah, and they'd be like a great, maybe good vacation crew. I don't know. Fun at a resort. You don't I don't know. So? How do you see Jessica dealing with a sister-in-law? It's not well. <laughs> well, that's well. true. You're getting sabotaged. We, well, I would I would just have Steve move to the opposite side of the country. We would move to the East Coast. We yeah. would not stay in Sweet Valley. Yeah. Okay. I think Steve would be great maybe off of his turf. What do you think the job market's like in Sweet Valley? Probably not great. Doesn't seem like there's a lot of industry. Like retail. <laughs> retail. <laughs> yeah. And apparently being a lawyer. Sure. Because and there's these two rich families. Right. So a lot of legal battles. And interior design because mm-hmm. Mrs. Wakefield's business is booming. It is. Yeah. Yeah. She's mm-hmm. working late a lot. I just, I, Rick is so gross. I have to kill him. I have no interest in fucking him. I know he's, I mean, he's probably a little wild. I think he's probably like really good in bed though. So yeah, I don't. I just don't think I could even get for a seventeen-year-old. Yeah, for a seventeen-year-old <laughs> for a Who recent high school, school dropout. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, all of them. Like at least he probably has some experience. The other two probably have are virgins. So if I'm a thirty-seven-year-old woman, and I have to fuck one of these seventeen-year-olds. <laughs> it's going to be the experienced one. Oh my god, this That's is. I just threw point. up in my mouth. That's a good point, Grace. <laughs> We're turning your your wonderful books podcast into trash. No, it's. Don't worry about it. Okay. All right. So, so let's talk about Todd, Todd. who two or am I the only one marrying Todd? Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. We're fighting over Steve. Okay, great. <laughs> I, I'm not going to fight you that hard. Bo- no, I'm not either. <laughs> we're both moving him to the East Coast <laughs> yeah, away I, from his family. Yeah, I think then he'd be okay. I don't think I, I want Mrs. Wakefield as a mother-in-law, but we'd be okay if we were father. Sure, sure. Yeah. So, but Todd is the one that really weaves like this very tangled web from the beginning. Like I was trying to take notes on everything that was going on with him and I, I can barely keep track. So at the beginning, he's like calling the house because he wants to talk to Elizabeth and already Jessica is being terrible and like pretending that she's not home and just flirting with Todd per usual. I mean kind of in his defense he definitely got gaslit here. He was like oh no Elizabeth's with other people. She's like with Rick Andover down at the bar. She's not into me. Jessica really pulled a fast one on him. Yeah Jessica's like she I like can't keep up with all of Elizabeth's men. She's juggling them. Yeah. But Jessica's an actual. Could you imagine doing that to your sister? No. The thing that I hated was that at one point, Jessica goes down to the one bar in Sweet Valley. Kelly's. Kelly's with Mm -hmm. Rick Andover. And it's a really big scandal. She gets taken home in a squad car and there's like all these rumors and Elizabeth gets blamed for it because the police officer, her neighbor, her neighbor saw them and was like, oh, I know Elizabeth Wakefield. You're a friend of my something. Yeah, it was like, she was a friend of like the police officer's niece or something. And so he like assumed it was Elizabeth. So anyway, Elizabeth's getting all of this like, she's getting shamed for this. Mm -hmm. And Jessica tells Todd, she's like, it's actually, it was actually me. And he's like, he doesn't believe her. He says, he uses the word noble. He's like, that was so noble of you. Yeah, Yeah. he's like, oh no, that's really great of you to take the fall for your sister. But I like, know you wouldn't do that. And it was like, really? Yeah. You're trusting 
this maniac? I yeah. I just, it, it blew my mind because then like later on, he was having this conversation with one of the other guys and he said something to the effect of like, well, if everybody's saying it's true, then it has to be true. Like right. if Elizabeth yeah. was the one at the bar, then it definitely was her. And like, that's kind of the end of it. And like, do you have any cr- like critical thinking ability? Right. It's clear. Not like, really. No. Especially because in the book, it's spelled out so clearly like who the quote unquote good one is and who the quote unquote yeah. bad one is. Like, does, does nobody else realize that these are sort of how their personalities and break honestly, Honestly, that's why I'm going to marry Todd because I can kind of just spoon feed him whatever I want. And he's going to be like, well, everyone says it's true. Yeah. Well, you said it's true, so it must be. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. I'm going to wear the pants in this relationship. You can get away with a lot. But you're going to be really bored though. Sure. Maybe I'll marry Rick. I don't know. <laughs> then it would be exciting. I mean, if yeah. you're looking for the very opposite of the being yeah. married to Todd experience, you should definitely marry Rick. I don't know that Rick makes it to the age of getting married the way he drives. Like, Also true. I think that's Rick ends point. up in a ditch. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. That's also true. But in the end, Elizabeth does end up with Todd in a very like weird chain of events because, again, like he believes Jessica for the longest time. And then all of a sudden, he kind of like flips and... And yeah. nobody has a problem with it. No. And it's, yeah. it's just so, he will believe anything that anybody tells him. And I wrote down, I think in the margin, like this is the weirdest love scene at all, of all time, like when they make out at the end, because I'm trying to even find in my notes where things shift because it's actually very confusing. All of a sudden Todd's like, she said it was her, but Liz, I'm so sorry. I should have known you wouldn't have, that you never could have. How could I have been such an idiot? He also tells Elizabeth that Jessica has been spreading these rumors that he, she has a million boyfriends and then they make out and then it's like, oh, it seems like everything's fine. I mean, Francine Pascal, or whichever one of her ghostwriters wrote this book, was really just trying to like direct the behavior of Todd specifically to get whatever she did. None of it makes any sense. She just wanted to get to this ending. Also, the scene where he goes to the beach with Enid, and what's Enid's boyfriend's name? Ronnie. 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 And, like, Todd is so broken up over this. He's like, all these rumors about my gal, like, he's broken up over it in a very strange way. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone is making a very big deal of the fact that she got taken home from a bar in a squad car, but like nothing actually happened. Yeah. Yeah. And and she, I remember like thinking that she was broken up about weird things. Like when she, she was like, nobody would actually believe that I would have walked. I forget even what the wording was, but like she was broken up and stressed about a weird part of it where she was like, nobody would believe that like I, I was forced to and people will just think that I went in willingly. And it's like, why don't you just tell people Yeah, what happened? I, I'm not really sure yeah. where the breakdown and communication is here with you and everybody else you know can't you just explain oh this crazy idiot Rick Rick Andover who nobody really seems to like or respect like he forced me into the bar is nobody gonna trust you when you say that it's just it's very confusing because it's like very convenient when people are trusted and when they're not yeah especially Jessica yeah yeah. Wait, can we talk about Rick? Yes. Like, I have Your this, potential this future open. husband. Yeah, my, my husband. My deadbeat future husband, <laughs> who's probably dead. But maybe um, better in bed than most 17-year-olds. Yeah, I mean, what do you need? So, <laughs> Jessica says, don't worry. I'm fighting off an urge to attack you. Then he goes, just as long as you don't fight too hard. I'm not used to taking no for an answer. Then we have him <sighs> saying... I told you, I'm used to getting, not asking. Like, this is very rapey. It's very rapey, but it's so black and white where it's like, of course the bad guy is really rapey, and it's like, don't get in bad guy's cars. Like, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I felt like it was, like, very classic, like, this guy is evil. Yeah. He also said, all teas and no tickle, huh? Didn't your mommy tell you not to put anything in the window that you don't sell in the store? Yeah. That's so bad. Yeah. So bad. But you can also kind of imagine that being a lesson to, like, girls in the 80s where they're like, oh, don't put anything in the window that you don't sell in the store. Yeah. So it's like, is that a line that people use? Like, I've never heard that line. I never have either. But, like, I picture it being something that maybe Francine Pascal would like young girls to take in. There's also this line where she she was talking about how she loves when she gets attention from men on the street. Like she was, I think the line was something like, usually when Jessica was walking down the street, she got lots of like essentially cat calls and like everybody was looking at her. And then she said like, the more the better. Like I love when this happens. And so that combined with the Rick Andover stuff just made me so uncomfortable. Yeah, It's a really bad combination of things because it's not just like the way that the boys are treating the girls. It's kind of the way that the girls are internalizing it and the way that they're enjoying aspects of it yeah that you certainly like wouldn't want a middle school reader to think that one would enjoy it right so Rick Andover basically like pulls Jessica into his car and she's like okay great like 
I'll go on a date with you. Like, you know, she doesn't fight too hard. He offers to come pick her up and they go to this bar. And I was kind of amazed that like it didn't, it never registered to me when I was reading this as a kid that she was drinking beer. Like I was a very innocent kid and I didn't drink until college. And so it it surprised me that at no point when I was reading this in maybe fifth or sixth grade was I like, oh, she's drinking beer at a bar. I had never encountered that. Like, I don't think I ever would have read that before I was in fifth or sixth grade. And so reading that now kind of surprised me that she was at this like weird, sort of roadside pub just like casually throwing a beer back it was kind of confusing to me and also just not in line with any of my memories of this series no they seemed like they were so wholesome yeah yeah so then he like starts a fist fight basically because she wants to leave and he won't let her leave and but she's also going to let this other guy at the bar take her home which is like Jessica that's not good judgment don't go home with the guy who's been drinking who you don't know he's older she I think she was like yeah he looks like my dad or something (laughs) like he's my dad's age so it's probably fine it's like don't get in his car Jessica yeah you don't know him either maybe Rick Andover is a better choice like walk home Sweet Valley doesn't seem that big no and there's a lot of outdoor swimming pools is what I learned like everywhere you go there's an outdoor swimming pool so you know if you can see outdoor swimming pools all around you you know that you're at home because it's comfortable for you there um but yeah so there's this whole fight that breaks out like you said she ends up like going home in a squad car the neighbor overhears that it's elizabeth even though we know it's not and spreads this rumor about her and god forbid all these rumors are about but jessica of course like kind of lets them go she's like it's fine you know i'm gonna let this be people want to think it's elizabeth whatever she's a terrible sister i have a lot of sisters i have four sisters to be exact and i just cannot imagine if something like this went on in my family what's the worst thing that one of your sisters has ever done to you? Well, I'm the oldest, so nobody oh, really so does you, anything. You were to doing me. the bad things to them. Yeah, I'm a lot older than they are, so oh. like I just there's not that much. Like, I it's sort of more watching them be evil to each other. That's mm. kind of been my experience as an older sister. Did you ever do anything terrible to your sisters? I feel like all your stuff was physical. No, it was mostly just like. Just like I was just, no, I didn't really beat them. I was more just like mean. I remember telling my sister Meredith that she had a triangle shaped head and that like she couldn't wear French braids because it made the top of her head like wider, which it did. But like, you don't say that to somebody. Are you you older? Yeah. Okay. And I remember calling Becca, my sister Becca, Bucky because she needed braces and her teeth were like, she had buck teeth. Um, And then I ended up having to get braces too because I... I had perfect teeth and then something happened and I had to get braces. But like all like just stupid shit. Like I made up mean names and I terrorized them. But you never did this. You never pretended that no. they were the ones who were Oh my god, I wasn't that I wasn't I wasn't manipulative. I wasn't a sociopath. Like she was what sixteen year old is doing that level of manipulation? Like I don't know any. Yeah, this is Maybe unheard Becca's of. like I was. I was a mean girl. I didn't have any sisters. Yeah. yeah. But to your friends, would you have ever done No. I mean, I, I like think, you have to think about it. I mean, I yeah. think a lot of this would be a lot harder to get away with if you weren't identical twins. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I do think to an extent, like I can see, I can see in, in families, even without twins, like I can see one sister kind of like letting another sister take the blame for something. Like, I don't think that's that unusual, but this is obviously like a much higher stakes situation. Yeah. And it's funny to me that their parents never really caught wind of this. Totally. Because yeah. it's like, if you were going to lie, I feel like that's the reason that you would lie is to sort of make sure that your parents didn't find out. But the fact that it's all just to preserve her reputation at school. And I think in the end, she ends up saying something like, you know, you don't, you don't have as much to lose. Like I could lose the cheerleading squad. Um, and like, that's why she decided to let it go because she thinks that, you know, her life is higher stakes than Elizabeth's, which it's not. And I, I don't know. I just, I, this was obviously like a much deeper manipulation than I think um, sort of like a more innocent you take the blame kind of situation would be. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty dark. Wait, can we talk about Steve, your future husband who mm-hmm. I'm going yeah. to kill? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hated him. I hated him from the first time he was introed where they basically had a conversation, the three of them, where they were complimenting each other on how good looking they were. It's my yes. favorite. It's so creepy. <laughs> it was so creepy. And I was like, oh, Steve, don't like you. Yeah. I, I wrote a lot of it down because it made me laugh so hard. Oh my God, please repeat it. Okay. There's a lot of this book we were saying when I when I walked in. There's a lot of this book we just want to do a dramatic reading of. I, I could hang out here all day and we could do it. But this in particular is great. So Steven's there. He's like their brother home from college. And I guess he's been home a lot. And so Elizabeth walks in. She's like, oh, like weird you're here again. And Stephen's like, how many princes did you turn into toads this week? And Elizabeth is like, but I bet you have no trouble stopping clocks at state you with that face of yours. She's like, I've never heard that expression, stopping clocks. 
because you're so good looking. I think you stop clocks because you're so ugly. Like, have you heard that expression? Like, you like it was, I haven't heard this in a long time, but it's like, oh, you're so ugly, you like broke the mirror. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. I feel like that's what I would take away from that. It's like you broke the clock because you're so ugly. Yeah, and then it goes on to say the two had started their quote-unquote ugly routine because in the midst of all of this, they keep just being like, oh, no, you're ugly, you're ugly. Um, They'd started the routine ages ago after spending a totally boring afternoon listening to a distant relative drone on and on about how too, too adorable your children are, just too, too. They had invited Jessica to join in their game, but she was never bored when people discussed her beauty. So, like, the whole basis of Elizabeth and Stephen's relationship is that they were so tired of people telling them that they were cute that they decided to start calling each other ugly. But even then, they like have to ask each other questions about like how hot people think they are no it's crazy it's so weird but okay so steve is in a relationship with i can't remember the girl's name trisha the poor girl trisha but like there's this whole thing where her family is so bad that they like don't want to be associated with it and i was like wow it's really strange yeah the sisters have this like very knee-jerk reaction because they think that he's dating her, her sister, sister Betsy, who's yeah. like dangerous. Betsy's doing drugs. Yeah, but right. then, but then, even when they find out it's not Betsy, they were like, "We don't want to be involved in a fam- with a family like that." Right. Yeah. It's like you, it's like you guys are in high school. What's what is going to happen that would align you so closely with this family that it would damage your clearly stellar reputations, even though you're liars and manipulative and like really not paying any attention in school. Um, like, I don't understand what these people could do to your reputation. Your brother doesn't even technically live with you. He's in college. And then the parents are kind of nervous about it too. Like when Steven brings the question about this family to his parents, they're like, "Mm, well, you wouldn't actually be dating her parents. You'd be dating Trisha and she seems nice. And it's like, they're still shitting on this family. And it's just, it's so judgmental. It's so judgmental. I think the dad is an alcoholic is what the parents were upset about. My parents would have been like, oh, like, why don't we, like, spend more time with her so that she has, like, a good role model? Yeah, my parents... Not like, mm, we should should avoid that family. My parents would be like, invite her over for dinner more or something. A lot of class warfare going on in in Sweet Valley. I feel like the Martins couldn't possibly live in Sweet Valley. Like, I feel like they probably live in, like, a smaller town, like, on the outskirts of Sweet Valley, sort of, like, wrong wrong side side of the tracks. Like, Sour Hill. Yeah. (laughs) Sour Hill. Yes. Sour Gorge. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sour Hill. Yeah. And I just, I didn't want to hear any more about Steven. Like I, I didn't hate him the way that you did. And I thought that the banter with the sisters while annoying was actually really funny. But then when there's like a whole chapter devoted to him and him wanting to talk to his parents about whether or not he should date this girl, I was like, can we please get back to the other drama? Like yeah. I don't, I yeah. don't need this additional storyline here about who he's dating or not dating. Like Steve, go back to college. Go yes. to a frat party. You seem like you're really hot. You do fine there. Yeah. Yeah. It concerns me that you're you're coming home every weekend, Steve. Yeah. Yeah. I also want to talk about this really silly thing where I guess there's this tradition at their high school where when the other students find out who the columnist behind like the gossip section of the newspaper oh, yeah. is, oh, then yeah. everybody throws that columnist into the school pool. And again, as somebody who was on the newspaper in high school, PSA, nobody cares that much. Like, oh, I could see that being a thing because it's gossip. Yeah, like that felt like more real to me where it's like, oh, there's a, like it's a game, you know, like it's a tradition. And like, when, if you find out who this is, you get thrown in the pool, which is like pretty harmless, but like funny. Maybe I just still have this inner resentment about the fact that like as a nerd in high school, I feel like I worked so hard on the newspaper and nobody cared or noticed. So I'm like, the fact that people would even be spending any time trying to figure out who the columnist was just seems unreasonable to me. I mean, the more unrealistic part to me is that the school was fine with there being a gossip column. True. Yeah. Yeah. It was very gossip girl. The tone of it was like a certain good looking football player was caught with another certain good looking cheerleader. Like they're going to make a great couple. That wouldn't fly in most schools. I would hope not. So yeah, at the end, Elizabeth kind of like gets revenge on Jessica by setting her up so that the rest of the students think that Jessica is Elizabeth and then they throw Jessica in the pool. But to me, the best part of that is that she she dresses up and <laughs> pretends to be Jessica and to and dress up as her, she wears the tuxedo. A tuxedo. Shirt. No, yeah. it's a full tuxedo. It has a bow tie. <laughs> 
the, the whole thing about the tuxedo. At first, I just that thought was mentioned it was multiple a times. ruffly shirt, which I yeah. had one. I get it. Yeah, I, mine was more pirate than tuxedo, but like I had one. But then they talk about the little bow tie, and I'm like, what is this outfit? Yeah. yeah. And somebody specifically compliments her, and they're like, "You look so cool when you wear that outfit, Jessica. Like you look nothing like your stick in the mud sister." And it's like they call her the sexy sister. It's like that just like upset me was calling it the sexy sister. I don't know, but like the fact that this outfit is so cool, I literally cannot picture it. Well, oh. my favorite line was that like the day that they were supposed to go to their sorority thing, Elizabeth says, this sounds like a job for my tuxedo shirt. Like, oh yeah, gotta go get that tuxedo Here we go. shirt. And I couldn't picture, I really couldn't picture it either. Hey Jess, Dana said, snapping her gum. Every time you wear that tuxedo outfit, you make the other fashion types around here look like they're wearing horse blankets. So what is this goddamn tuxedo? What is the worst thing you wore in high school? What was like the worst trend you participated in? Oh, I don't know that this was a trend, but I remember I came into New York with my mom into the city, you know, as I called it then. And we bought these, um, these real, they were like almost paisley rainbow mod looking tights. Ooh. And in hindsight, like it was, I think it's kind of cool that I did this, but the fact that I was walking around my high school with like a, like a short denim skirt and these crazy tights and Uggs, like I'm sure it's just like standard Uggs. And this was, I thought I was so cool. And I think I also wore it with this like longer, this almost like prairie style corduroy skirt. Nice. I thought that I was so cool because I had these like very unique tights. Mm. Mm. That was it was bold, but I'm not sure it was the right time. I don't think people were ready for it. Mm. What about you guys? My real missteps were mostly in middle school. In high school, like there was a lot of mud flare jeans and mm. LEI. Oh yeah. Um, but in high school, I had I had these like short and overalls are back in style now, but I had these short overalls that were were cut off shorts and they I just thought they were so cool and I loved layering them with like neon t-shirts like oh and they had that t-shirt that changes color with your body temperature and I thought that was like so cool the hyper color one I think that was what it was called oh I don't know that but that does sound very cool yeah Yeah. I don't know I I feel like I had some bad tights too I can't think of anything in particular I'm positive there are things right it's a memory issue not that I was not wearing terrible things what about those bubble shirts did you have those they were these they they shrunk so when when you got them at the store they oh I know what you're talking about but no and I wore one and it was so I can't believe that I own I think I owned a few and I had like tie-dye ones Mm. and so they would stretch into full shirts but when you got them it looked like they were just this weird like crumpled piece of fabric yeah I mean my pirate shirt certainly wasn't great I had one of those too yeah and I felt good about it I really liked it it was in style yeah I mean it, it wasn't our fault it was fashion's fault yeah for sure does any part of this book make you want to have an identical twin? Because when I was reading this as a kid, it may, it did. I really was like, oh, it'd be so cool to have a twin. Yeah, maybe I did. someday. Like, I hope I have twin daughters. Like, I'll dress them the same, and they'll you know get into all these antics. I don't feel that way anymore. No, I wonder how their relationship is in other books because I also remember being very sold on being a twin, yeah. and I think more of it was Mary Kate and Ashley. But I think like this help reinforce it too. So I wonder if in other books they're like not sabotaging each other and they have like a cooler twin relationship. Yeah, I mean the swaps, like there's always some element of of a swap I think in every book and even though they're not actively switching places in this book, like obviously at the end, you know, during the action where there's this misunderstanding about which twin is which and then again at the end when Elizabeth is able to get revenge on Jessica by like flipping the script on her and setting her up to look like herself yeah. that she'll get thrown in the pool like there's always some element of that and I think that that is appealing when you're a kid I don't remember that part as much with Mary Kate and Ashley I just remember thinking that they were cool and fun and best friends yeah I also remember did you watch the movie Escape to Witch Mountain yes and those twins oh, yeah. had ESP yeah yes I wanted that yeah so I also wanted the twin ESP yeah and I, I think that at the core, like, I don't think Francine Pascal does a great job of showing it, but I think what she is trying to show is some sense of unconditional love. Like, these two resolve conflicts way too quickly, and their relationship is very weird, but I think that she is trying to show that, like, twins have this, like, really close relationship that can't be broken, and when you're looking at your twin, you can't really be mad, which I was thinking about as sort of, like, the most extreme form of narcissism, the fact that, like, yeah. Elizabeth looks at Jessica, and she's like, oh, when I look at you, I can't actually be angry. Like, that's such because a- you're me right you're actually just me so I think like maybe that's sort of appealing as a kid too to have somebody in your life that you're that close with yeah but it it doesn't certainly like hold up as an adult 
No. Now, I told you ahead of time that I was going to ask you this question. I ask guests this question at the end of every episode. I already know what your answer is going to be, but I would love to hear like why. I'd love to hear it's sort of like your full breakdown. Has reading this book as an adult made you love it more? Has it held up or has it ruined it for you? Oh, absolutely. I love it so much more. I just like, I think that I want my daughters to read this. Like, I think it's just, no, this is a terrible book. It's just crazy. And I think that it's just also shows like, because we think we're like so backwards. I think it's almost like a little like representation of the fact that we have as a society come so much further than we think we have because something like this on a shelf today would be burned. It makes me happy thinking that my I have a little niece and that she's going to grow up reading much more woke books mm-hmm. and books where not everyone is white and women aren't like treated like this and the focus isn't based on her looks. So no, no, I do not. I do not love this book anymore. I'm very sad to say. Oh, it definitely ruined it for me. Yeah. When you sent us the survey, I thought of it really nostalgically. And I was like, this would be so fun. And I didn't expect it to be as problematic as it was, both in terms of like their narcissism and like how positioned this book was to be about like, they're the heroines because they're good looking and like they're perfect size sixes and they're ocean blue eyes. And like, they're so wonderful. But I don't think anything about it well, I mean, first of all, nothing about it is relatable anymore. Right. And I mean, I'm also not in high school, but I can't imagine anyone in high school would relate to this. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just such of a different time. Um, but yeah, no, Grace is right. Like, it's kind of like the worst, most simplistic, like, everything is perfect world. Yeah. I didn't even find it fun to read. And that's what was disappointing. Oh, yeah. Because I anticipated that there would be some problems with it. And like I said, I'd read another book in the series a few months ago. And so I knew that I probably wasn't going to like love it as much as I did when I was a kid. But I thought that it would be fun. Like I thought it might be sort of a nostalgic equivalent of like yeah. a chiclet book that I would bring to the beach now that I know isn't a good book, but sure. like is going to be fun. But at a certain point pretty early on, it transitioned to like a hate read where I was like, I'm just highlighting things because it's ridiculous and all that I can do laugh about it um, and that's sad because it's one yeah. thing to read a book and be like I know this isn't great but I'm in, I'm having fun with it and I didn't even feel that way yeah with this book so listeners I'm really sorry wait is this more or less problematic than the other Sweet Valley book that you read I find it more problematic because of the dynamics with the boys that wasn't as big of a thing in the other one the other one was really more there were a lot of um problematic references to like Jessica wanting to look more exotic um <laughs> yeah and that was bad and it was a lot more of a focus if you can believe it on her appearance and like her wanting to look different and so that therefore meaning that she would be different just by looking different okay but i this one grossed me out more because of the guy stuff that wasn't as big of a thing mm, in the other yeah. book Sorry, listeners. I know that you were all hoping that this would be like a rollicking conversation about how nostalgic and happy these books made us, but it's kind of a bummer. So I would not recommend coming back to this series, certainly not this first one. No. 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 Other than Sweet Valley High, which I really appreciate you both reading for this, what else have you been reading that you might recommend to our listeners to get us like back on a positive reading note? Well, so we're recording this a little bit in advance. We're in June. So on our podcast, we host a monthly book club. And our June book is one of the best books that either of us has read this year, which is very escapist and not terribly problematic. Um, So we're reading this book called The Idea of You. Okay. And basically the premise is a 40-year-old divorcee takes her tween daughter to what is a thinly veiled One Direction concert. And she falls in love with the lead singer and then has this like very tender but very hot affair with him kind of like across the world. Oh, wow. That sounds amazing. It's the most addictive book ever. Yeah. And it's surprisingly well written. It is. So Becca was the one who told me I had to read it. And I was like, no, no, I'm not reading this trash. And then I start reading. I'm like, oh, like this author is actually like a good writer. Yeah. And like, oh, like this is actually really, really well done. Like take away the fact that it's smut. It's really well written smut. It is. I enjoyed. It's wonderful. I read it on, Grace read it on vacation and she had been such a poo-pooer of this and she started reading it and she was like, get away from me. 
I'm sitting here and reading this until I'm done. She yeah. like would not move from a lounge chair. I know. Chair. I can be a little bit of a brat when I'm like, when I get it in my head that this is a bad book. I was like, I'm not reading that. And then I was like, oh, I was like the puppy with its tail between its legs. And I was like, sorry, Becca. <laughs> that sounds great. I'm adding that to my list. I haven't heard of it, but fun fact, I have actually chaperoned my younger sisters at a One Direction concert. Did you fall in love with Harry Styles? I did not. I, I guess I was, this was a couple of years ago. So I similarly had this attitude where I was like, ugh, like I'm too good for this. Like I don't want to go. My dad bought an extra ticket and was like, can you please just be part of this? And I was like, never. And so I had a bad attitude and probably yeah. like should have enjoyed it more than I did, but I was being a bitch. Yeah. I can, I, I do that sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I'm above this. No, I'm not. <laughs> You're like, not even a little. <laughs> well, I'm going to include a link to that book in the show notes for this episode. Yeah. I will include a link to Double Love just in case anybody wants to hate read it. You will read it in a couple of hours, and it's it's bad. Just, just keep it away from your kids. Like, yeah. if anyone has teenagers who's listening here. Yeah, I think that's probably yeah. a good recommendation. <laughs> it It is sort of, like, shocking when you read it that you maybe enjoyed it as a teenager, but... Hate read it. I guess that's all that I can recommend. I'll include a link if if you want to check that out. I will also, of course, include a link to Bad on Paper as well as The Stripe um, because I would love all of you listeners to check that out. And I'm so glad, Beck and Grace, that I got a chance to chat with you about this book. Thank you again for welcoming this was so me much. into your space. This is lovely. This was really fun. This was really fun. Sorry for interrupting. Oh, no, do you this get, is best. Do you get weird reviews where people are like, they interrupt or they're mean or anything? No, I haven't had any I don't want to be your bad guest. Reviews. Oh my gosh, no way. I've got some Twitter trolls, but I okay. haven't had any. Yeah, any weird reviews. So okay, I don't think I don't yeah. think that'll happen. But thank you both so much for your time. Oh my god, thanks for having us. This was a pleasure. Bye, bye, bye. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind-the-scenes inside scoop, and some good old-fashioned book talk. Find us at SSRPod on Instagram and Twitter, and search SSR Podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast.